Collective Conversations is a podcast of the Nazarene Collective. We are people from diverse communities united with one mission and one vision that invites us all to take our next steps of faith following Jesus together. Sometimes these steps seem massive or more like a baby step for others. And more often than not, we don't take these steps alone. When walking with others, next steps often take place as we simply move at the speed of relationship, one conversation at a time. Welcome to Collective Conversations. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, and it is so good to be with you today. Uh, Sean's here with me, and we are ready to dive into this series connected to the series that you are hearing on Sunday mornings. It is a good day. I'm glad to be here with you, Keith. We're going to have fun today. Now, we, we kicked off this past Sunday, this series called The Seven, where we are looking at those first seven churches in Revelation. In particular, this first week, we talked about Ephesus. That's right. Uh, looking back on the, if you haven't had a chance, you, I hope you do know, you can get online and listen to these, especially those of you who maybe, maybe got work on Sunday morning, maybe you were traveling. They are all available on the website. They're available. You can access them through the app. They're also available on our YouTube channel, which is just the good old, uh, the YouTube channel, I believe, is Valparaiso Nazarene Church. I don't believe it's been switched over to Nazarene Collective, but it's there. You can go find them and you can listen to Sean share his great wisdom and insight from this past Sunday. (laughs) Well, wisdom and insight, that's a little scary, but (laughs) you know, we we kind of made the decision to go through these seven churches, I don't know, maybe close to a year ago, that we started talking about uh, what we're going to do this fall. And and looking at them, and, and the first church that we talked about last past Sunday, Ephesus, um, it, it is more of making sure we understand that out of those seven churches, five of them were really reprimanded, and two of them were encouraged. There was and and John talks about how the identity of the church had this angel or this spirit about them and that there was individual um there was an individual identity but there was also a collective identity of who they were together and that's that's what he talked about and that churches um you know the the capital C church all of us have to really take some time and and investigate is this us and and when we start looking at these identities these spirits these attitudes that become prevalent in the in the church you know we we have to unmask them we have to call them out and and ask for repentance and 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 ask for forgiveness really and so as we started kind of looking at it and going through the first one was Ephesus and and to understand the church in Ephesus it, it's you know kind of special because it actually has a letter in the New Testament Mm-hmm. Um, you know that Paul had written, and it's it's for the church, and it was it was more of a, a formal letter to to encourage them as they were going because Ephesus was such a a unique, large, metropolitan, cosmopolitan city. Uh, it had everything under the sun, and it was actually unbelievably vile. It was it was could be grotesque. Um, the the way that they worshipped. Um, Diana um, and and the or Artemis, you know how if, if Artemis is what they would have called it. The Romans would have called the temple Diana, and it was the fertility goddess. And so everything that you could imagine, um, really vile, would have been happening there. And and Paul 
is doing everything he can to encourage that local church to to keep going. We know it's hard, and he he was encouraging them to stay the course, and um, and at his own peril, really, because he was so effective at converting um, non-believers to believers that those that were making idols, their their livelihood was in jeopardy because of how successful he was. And so we see a little bit of that. And and when you start reading what John had to say uh, to the church, and at first you're like, this is great. Um, and he, he identifies, and he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, and I, and I know you cannot tolerate the wicked people. And he continues to just really encourage them. Um, and you've persevered and you've endured your hardships for my name and you've not grown weary yet. And then he goes, I hold this against you. And basically tells them that you, you lost your first love. And so that's where the, the rub and revelation comes. They were really good at holding the line of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Yet they had lost their first love. And I think what got me as I sat and listened to the, the sermon was how you define first love. That that messed with me. I imagine it messed with some others in the congregation as well, because we naturally think of, I should, maybe not naturally, but I, I traditionally have always thought of, oh, my first love, oh, that's just to God, and I've lost that. But you took us back to the words of Jesus, in particular with the greatest commandment, and um, man, that changed it. Change it, but <laughs> change it. No, that changed the perspective. It changed the perspective and put things in a different light. And why don't you take us back down that path again? Yeah. So uh, the way we kind of related it was your first love, and you know when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus and you know tell us what is what is the greatest commandment, and uh, it was a trap. It was it was to it was to ploy to get Jesus to say something. Um, that would contradict himself or leave himself in, in a bind. Uh, but he flipped the script on him because he took all of the rules, he took the Ten Commandments, he took all of the um, the Leviticus, you know, the law, he took all of the law and he put it together and he said, basically to summarize Matthew 23, you, you, you know, you love God first and then you love your neighbor as yourself. And so love God, love people. And, and he summarized that, and he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And, and basically, if, if our, I, the way I always talk about it is that our love, our, our relationship with the Heavenly Father, that if that love relationship is not in its right place, which is the filter in which everything happens in our life, if it's not right, then there's no way we can ru- we can love our our neighbor our and anybody that's our neighbor our family our coworkers our our children our wives our husbands it's impossible because the filter is off kelter and you can't have that and and so it's this draw to understand that he's first and that's the only order it works and and that if we try to put anything else before him we will never love accordingly. It just won't work. And and so when you start thinking about that, that the church in Ephesus was told, you've done all of these things really well, but you have abandoned your first love. Um, that's a dagger to the heart. Oh, yeah. And, and let's lay that against modern day. Yeah. I mean, we are in a setting where we speak and teach and talk about passionately loving God, but it, you can't escape. If you're going to love God, you don't get to 
leave out love others. <laughs> you it's, don't. You don't get that option. No. And, and so there is this modern day time of polarization where we are so filled with angst towards each other. And I, I want to go, I, it, it just fr- it frustrates me when I see believers acting that way. Because I'm going, hold on, you're missing something. You know, don't, don't, this will sound harsh, but yeah. don't stand here in church and raise your hand and then talk so pointedly and ugly about someone else. It's like you're, you're missing the heart of that first love. And that just, man, that, that gets frustrating to me. And, and uh, some of the language you used on, on Sunday, you talked about how they were, they were drawing the line. And that was, and we, we don't want to take away from that because there is truth. The truth needs to be the truth. And, and, and we understand drawing the line, but, but when love is abandoned to maintain your line, then in essence, could we argue you, you've actually taken Jesus out of the equation at that point? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. And so when you, when holding the line becomes our number one goal of the church, well, the that's why the church is, I believe, the church in general, the capital C church, has become irrelevant in most people's lives because we were actually rooted out of love. That's the way we were made. Now, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, all dogs go to heaven, whatever little line you want to use. It's not It's not that. It's not letting people off the hook. It's not we don't have to hold people accountable. It doesn't mean... It doesn't mean any of that because accountability is a part of it, and that's love. Holding people accountable right. is the most loving thing we can do. Love, uh, love, and truth can coexist. It can, and it has to. Um, you and I don't believe we can have one without the other. Mm-hmm. So we we have to have those things. But but I'm a, I'm a, what I'm fearful of is the church, capital C church, has been we have. Actually, we're hanging our hat more on that we're holding the line, and we're not near as loving. And in Ephesus, it wasn't their love for the people; it was their hatred of the heresy. And and they so what they did is they they allowed their love to fade, and they were holding the line so well that people didn't know they just they just became legalistic, and and so therefore they lost their impact, they lost their influence, and I, I you know. That's not what we're called to do. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think one of the biggest impacts, if we could figure this out as the church, is to figure out how to be able to sit down across the table with somebody that we just disagree with. Yeah. And they leave that table knowing they disagree with me, but man, they love me. And I, I, I know that's, yeah, I'm, I'm giving like almost a pseudo scenario because it's like, well, that's not the way it works right now. I hear that. But at the same time, I believe Jesus is powerful enough to do some things that we can't wrap our head around. And the question is, are we the ones who are modeling the, I want to sit down and be able to talk like that and make sure they leave with love? Or am I more focused like the Ephesians or the church that they were talking about that were more focused on making sure you heard my point versus you experienced my love? Right. And I, I know where I want to land. Yeah. And. And you know, we talked that we admitted we we know this is hard. This isn't easy. Yeah. This is not. In fact, I would argue it's easier to hold the line than it is to love people, mm-hmm. because I can just put my head down and hold the line, mm-hmm. uh, because that doesn't take much emotion. That takes a little bit of energy, um, and it probably takes some some attitude 
to get that achieved. But when it comes to actually loving people and and seeing them and and hearing them and sitting down with them, now that's that's a whole different animal. And you know when we 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 talk about raising children, the loving the most loving thing a parent can do is discipline their children. The easiest thing to do is not to, you just let them run wild. And when that happens, um, you may feel like you're being kind, but you're not, you're doing them, you're doing them harm. You're, you're, you're harming the child, uh, by letting them do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, whenever they want to do it. And, and that may make me sound old, (laughs) I'm okay with it because I just feel like that was the most loving thing we can do is discipline our children. And we're not talking about court martials and jail time. We're talking about discipline, loving discipline. And there's a whole different, not beating kids just because they cross the line, but lovingly discipline them. It's different. And when we talk about that with with non-believers who who are taking us down paths or or are trying to bring a false truths or they're getting things twisted, it, we have to lovingly find a way to keep the conversation alive with them, um, not agreeing that they're right or not agreeing that you know that it's all okay, but we still they have to know. And you you've said this; they have to know that we care. They have to know. That you know we're we're going to be known by the you know how we love, and it's probably the I think the scarier one of the scary things for me is it's probably easier to love strangers than family because when it's your family and close friends and your neighbors you know too much. Yeah, and I've you know I've had conversations with people dealing with family who share different beliefs is it's okay to express that truth. I think it, the line you get to with adults and family in that way is, listen, I, I'm going to tell I, I need to, because I love them, I'm going to tell them at least once. But then I can't keep going back to that as the <laughs> yeah. sole conversation with them. Let my love be what's consistent and yep. let that one conversation um, be spoken. But then I don't need to, to beat them down every time we interact as family. Right. Otherwise, the family's probably going to they're probably going to walk. To be honest with you, they're they're not going to. Why spend time with somebody who consistently beats me down uh, versus someone who I know I disagree with, but and they, they love me and I, I can't deny that. So that's right. I, I think you're spot on. Well, as we have, we're just going to, we're going to walk through these seven churches and in particular with Ephesus, is, is there anything else you wanted to add to that no, part of the conversation? I, no, I, th- I think we recapped it well. Okay. Well, and, and it's online. And it's online. <laughs> you can grab it. <laughs> you can go back and take a look at it. And, you know, also uh, part of what we promised with this podcast t- uh, tying into the, the seven series is venturing into some territory that we know some of you would love for us to do on a Sunday morning. And uh, we are going to spend some time in the podcast going down the roads, dealing with things that we talk about in Revelation, in particular, the whole idea of the end times. The end is near. (laughs) (laughs) And it is. Could be. It is. However you want to look at it. We are going to be honest with you and tell you, please do not consider either of us to be experts Instead, we're going to give you our perspectives on some of the elements that we see, and we're going to try to honestly just give you 
a, a biblical perspective on the things that we do know and then some of the different ideas that are out there. But part it's, of go it's, ahead. And, and some historical background. Yes. Like there there's some theologians, there's some historical uh, data, there there's some information that we can share. Um, we're not here's what we're not going to do. We're not gonna tell you what to think. Mm. We're gonna tell you here are some options. We'll probably add in our opinions here and there. Um, I mean, we barely passed college, so don't <laughs> don't take us as as the theologians of the world. Our grades and our masters would impress you. Oh, masters, our, we killed it. But our grades at actual college, not quite there. But we had a really good time in college. Beautiful experience. <laughs> so, uh, what are, as we we've talked about this, and we've thought back on our own experiences of conversations or places we've been a part of where they've talked about the end times, and we were just we were laughing a little bit, hmm. thinking back to just what we experienced as kids. I mean, I oh. still remember uh, in our church. Uh, I, this was before they called, we, we use the language now of series. They didn't call it series back then, but it was Sunday night. And it's Sunday night. Uh, I still remember our pastor, man. He was going to take us through the end times. And I remember that very much. Sunday night attendance went up. <laughs> it was flannel graphs. It was, it, it was once a month at our church growing up. It was once a month we got the end times talk. And, oh, wow. and it was, it was pretty regular and it, it's, Scared the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> I was, I was so afraid. <laughs> now, I, for those of you with a church background, uh, in the last decade or so, you're probably familiar with the Left Behind books and movies. We were before that. Uh, that was way before that. We were experiencing when they would bring in the movies in the church. They were called the Thief in the Night. Oh my gosh! You wouldn't sleep that night after watching <laughs> the Thief in the Night. I can still hear because it, 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 we. I don't know if our projector wasn't big enough, but I can still hear when it would hit the end or intermission, and you just hear it. Yeah, it's just spinning, and there's nothing on the screen. It's, it's terrifying as a kid. Oh man! Oh, it was and that guy that walked in the store and he took his hat off and had the number tattooed on his forehead. Oh man. Oh man, I crawled underneath that pew. I was so afraid. <laughs> and it was they had the intense music. I mean, it was it was and they made multiple movies and then and they are actually, I don't know if it's on Amazon Prime or if it's no. on Netflix. They're out there. They are. And and in defense of these people, <laughs> they wanted to make people aware of who Jesus was. And so they were t- trying to doing their best to bring to life some different theories on uh, the, the end times and, and put those stories in together. But I also remember end time conversations taking place for me, um, Berlin wall oh. and Gorbachev. Oh, he had the mark. I <laughs> know <laughs> the birth effect over his eye and forehead. It was the mark. <laughs> I think that's called a birthmark and not birth effect. Oh yeah. Birthmark. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why only our parents probably listen. <laughs> oh, I just remember the the Berlin Wall falling because that was a major deal, and he was bringing about peace. So people had some theories with that. Uh, man, I remember. Okay, so we're I was my senior year in high school, so you would have been a freshman in college, right? But we're talking the invasion of Kuwait. Oh, all that's going down. That part. It was in the Middle East, but I remember people getting excited because yes. missiles went into Israel. and yes. you, Armageddon. You oh, there was a lot of concern at that point. I, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I still remember it. Oh, absolutely. The uh, And Keith, so, and to tie it all in, because there's always the political side, 
there's the spiritual side, and then there's we just throw it in a blender and call it a smoothie. But the in in grade school doing the nuclear drills, you know, the tornadoes you went in the hallway and covered your head. The nuclear drill you just got on your desk. Now I don't know what them desks were made out of. But I remember in Oklahoma, we crawled underneath our desk for the nuclear testing that they were afraid that if, if the bombs went off. Wait a second. In the 80s? Oh, You were yeah. still doing, in Oklahoma, they were putting you under desk. Oh, yeah. Do you remember the, the miniseries when we were kids? And it was the traveling uh, semi-truck that had the nuclear warheads in it. <laughs> yes. And it was on Sunday night. There's only three channels back then, but they had it. <laughs> and it was like, this is this is how we all die. Uh-huh. This is <laughs> somebody. And then and in 83, when the War Games movie came out, uh-huh. and the kid, there was, I, I didn't, nobody even had a computer and picture in 1983. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy tapped into the, to the Pentagon and was launching missiles. I just thought this is it. This is how we all die. This is it. It's the Bible was right. And, and so was the guy on Sunday nights that told us once a month how we, it was all going to end. <laughs> I, now I do. Okay. We are thinking from the eighties, nineties perspective, a little, little bit of seventies in there, Yeah, but what in the world was going through the mind of people? World war one, World War II. Oh. Go back to the 20s with the pandemic back then of the plague and all those things. I mean, what in the world was going through their minds? Oh, yeah. And and how do they how do they not think that's the end? And and you know, even when you back into the Middle Ages and the black, you know, the black plague mm-hmm. that took 60% of Europe and Af- uh, northern Africa. Uh they that everybody was was literally you you would be dead in a day. Yeah. Um, and how do you not think this is it? Oh, yeah. Yep. So there have been, obviously, things historically that are very credible and we need to take into consideration as we talk about the end times. I mean, in particular, I mean, Israel becoming a nation again. Right. That that one's a biggie. That one is something we definitely need to take note of. And there's credibility to the its connection to prophecy and those different things. But this conversation that we'll have over these next seven weeks, we'll, we'll be talking about those seven churches, but also we're going to be doing what is known as eschatology, which is just the study of the end times, a study of last things. Now, we have a doctrine uh, that does speak to this, and I'm going to read to you from our uh, Church of the Nazarene manual. Uh, we are part of that denomination, the Church of Nazarene, and in doing so, there have been people who have been gathering for the past uh, decades upon decades, working through, all right, what do we believe? So I'm going to read it to you, and then Sean's just going to help us break it down a little bit. Uh, but it simply says this, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again, that we who are alive at his coming shall not precede them that are asleep in Christ Jesus, but that if we are abiding in him, we shall be caught up with the risen saints to meet the Lord in the air so that we shall ever be with the Lord. That was really good, Keith. Well, thank you. <laughs> Maybe I can yeah. get the denomination to hire me to read the manual wow. on a podcast. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. A lot of words. It's, it's, a, it's a thick manual. So what do, what do we do with this? We've got this simple statement. It's not real in-depth. But what what does what does it say? What does yeah. it not say? So I one of the things I appreciate about the Church of the Nazarene is it gives us there are some things in our historical position that it it is very poignant to. And it says this is who we are. And there are some areas that it says that's kind of a broad stroke. And and you know, we can live with different 
um, different theories and and different thought patterns on on how something's going to happen. And part of it is how does this end? You know, and we all live in a little bit of a mystery of how it all is going to end because nobody really knows. Um, and if you take everything in the book of Revelation um, verbatim, or if you think it's allegory, or if you think it's symbolism, and, you, you know, so you start, and, and, and what I've found is people typically start mixing, picking and choosing how they're going to view it. And what the Church of the Nazarene is really saying is, you know, if, and, and we'll get into all these different um, thoughts about the second coming and and Armageddon and and all things um, as part of this eschatology, we we will start to look at those things that way. Well, it's a uh, this gives us a stance to say, hey, all we know is, and what we're really prepared to say is, Jesus is coming again, mm-hmm. and and it is to make all things new. It is to restore. Um, so I, I believe, and, and Keith and I have talked about this, sometimes the end is viewed as death, disease, destruction. Mm-hmm. And Keith and I have the stance. We, we view, and based off Scripture, we view it, is, it, is, it's, it means the gospel has been fulfilled, it has been shared, and Jesus is coming to restore his kingdom, take it back from Satan, and be and the the rightful king of this of 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 our world and and so I you know it's 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 a celebration and and we just say hey how it happens there is there is some debate on that yet I see so many people taking it in with fear right and fear is dominating their thoughts on the end times it, yeah and well because none of us have died before. Right. I mean, we don't know what the I can't end, argue with that. Yeah, I mean, we we haven't. And so there is apprehension. Um I, I I don't remember which message it was. It's it's been a few months, but I talked about it that there is if I sit and think about eternity very long, there it creates a little bit of anxiety in me, not because I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend time with Jesus. I can't comprehend it. It's hard for me right. to to go Oh, I will never die. I this never ends. It'll be the it'll be groundhog day every day in heaven. I don't I don't even know what to do with that. And and so I believe that anxiety filters its way into the and until we we correlate it with the end times. Mm-hmm. That none of us have been there. We've not been in the end times before. Um and so that creates an anxiety that is actually just kind of misplaced. The anxiety may be, yeah, I don't understand how all of this works. That's, I think, okay to feel that a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Jesus comes, because it's all about his kingdom and his kingdom being restored, and every day we're alive, we're one day closer to Jesus' restoration of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So that's a party. Yeah. That's a celebration. Um, now the the draw is if you are not a follower of Jesus, that means you're out of time. Yeah. As as um, as we begin to sort of wrap this one up today, uh, one thing is for sure we we don't want people to get consumed by all the negative elements of this and forget about Jesus. 
Um, Sean found some some awesome words um, from Leonard Sweet. Yeah. And I uh, just wanted to share these with you before we uh, wrap up today's podcast. Yeah, just just one of the, he he's got a book out um uh, Talos and it is and it's really kind of talking about some of the things we're talking about on this podcast and um in the in the beginning of the book it's not even in the chapter it's just in his introduction it's just as Christians have been obsessed with the end since the beginning you know even in Jesus day they were always asking how will we know how will we know and you can't blame the early disciples after a series of sunny teachings and healings. Jesus sent his 12 out to, to offer the same. In the middle of, of the instructions, Jesus reframed their future in, in a much more ominous light. You will be hated by all, all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Matthew 10, 22. It was a lesson they learned quickly. The twelve returned from their first excursion with the grim news that Jesus' cousin John had been murdered. They clearly did not forget Jesus' potent wave about being waited to bring it up. And and again until much later on when it turned out that the last week of Jesus' life, after he had taught on the destruction of Jerusalem, they saw their chance and came to Jesus privately with two urgent questions. When is the end of the age and how will we know the signs? And these are the questions that Jesus' followers and anyone really seeking the common good have, have, have never ceased to ask. And we look at the pain, suffering, and chaos of the present age, and we desire comfort, peace, and order for all the people. We want a better end. We want to understand how to read the signs to get there. And so he goes on to say um, that Jesus doesn't, you know, there was a promise uh, that God goes all the way back to God and Noah, that there was a promise that he'll never destroy it all again. Um, but it will be restored. There's a reconciliation coming at the end. And so these questions have been from the earliest of Jesus' followers of when is the end and how will we know? So we who wrestle with it, you're not alone. I can't tell you the the, the heartbeat of what Sean and I talked about as well earlier of just, uh, if you want to know where we stand on all this, it's in that key statement of we truly believe Jesus is coming back. Now in the next several weeks, what we will do is break down further these seven churches, but at the same time, we want to, we want to address some of those questions you may have. Now, when we address them, it won't be us dictating to you hey, this is what it is, we're going to give you some of the different ideas, some of the different theories that exist in relation to them. In particular, in our next podcast, uh, as we dive into another church, we'll also be talking about what is the millennium? What is this thousand-year reign of Jesus? Well, that's all we have for today. It's been good to be with you. We look forward to uh, hopefully having you back next week, unless we scared you away, to join us in our conversation. Please join us. We, we don't want to do this alone. <laughs> we'll see you then.